I could I can't believe that happened. That's what the fuck. Anyway, let's get off of that. Let's stay focused. So, hello and welcome to another installment of Spyrokin's theme month of heist hijacking and high octane car crashes. For those of you who don't know, this is one of Spyrokin Review Podcast's theme months where we talk about all things heist film. Now this is the third installment of the theme month, so you should know how it all works. We're using the dodecahedron of movies, but we're not using any of the special sides. Anyway, hope you guys enjoy, and let's listen to another awesome podcast, shall we? Let's get back to it. Warning! This motion picture review contains adult language, mature situations, innocent toll collectors involved in horrible crimes, struggling actresses working for the state lottery, untrustworthy quote-unquote friends who do not mean well, corruptible guards, and a play by Tchaikovsky? Whoa. Listener discretion is advised? Spark in Motion Picture Review, episode 005. It's kind of a win-win situation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Spark in Motion Picture Review. I'm your host, Zane, saying konnichiwa, aloha, bonjourno, and what's up? Hey, I'm Greta. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope things have been crazy and amazing. We've been pretty good. I know this is a little late, just a tiny bit late, but this is our third installment of Sparkin's amazing, wonderful theme month that is known as... The month of heists, hijacking, and high-octane car chases. And it's pretty cool we've been doing this for a while, but if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Sparkin is a podcast that provides informative reviews about connectly enhanced narratives. Now, what does that mean? Well, every episode we talk about one to two geeky topics depending on the show you're listening to. Since we're talking about motion pictures, what are we talking about? Movies! We tell you the pros and cons about it, how the art style is, the acting, the music, the overarching plot, and if it's worth investing your time or not. You don't have to do anything that we say, but we try to be educational, enlightening, insightful, and most importantly, entertaining. And you can find out any of our earlier episodes at www.spirekin.com. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, which also means iTunes, YouTube, and various other social media sites. Just type in Spark, and I guarantee you'll find us one way or the other. So, with that in mind, um, should we get to it? I think we've talked about... Oh, before I forget, you can email me personally at Zan, that's X-A-N, at Spirekin.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and communicate with me at Spirekin. That's S-P-R-A-K-N, and Zan is with an X, not with a Z. So, X-A-N. So... Since this is the month of heist, hijacks, and high-octane car chases, pretty much we're talking about heist films. We've been doing a little bit of introduction on the various different aspects of heist films. Now, the first one was the basic elements that make a heist film great. What are the requirements to make a good heist film? Our last episode, we talked about the people involved in the caper. We're talking about your masterminds, your grease men, your hackers, everybody who makes a heist film amazing or makes a heist worthy. Because when you're doing a heist film, what do we need? You need a um, robbery, a theft, a heist. And you need a competent crew to do that. And that's what we talked about last episode, which is where we reviewed a very funny movie involving an insane crew where, well, let's be honest, trying to hide a, a key in a fish tank is actually really smart to do that. 
especially with that whole trying to kill, well, that killing the dog thing was, or killing the old lady thing was hysterical and weird. Sort of, but anyway, Fish Called Lauren was a weird one. But here's this one we're talking about something which is equally important to heist films because when you do a heist, you have your plan, you have your crew, and it should be easy peasy, right? Yes. However, unfortunately, sometimes these things don't go as planned. Sometimes bad things happen because of certain factors. And we're calling this our section on heist film antagonistic factors. Now, what what's an antagonistic factor, you think, or the, the term? What do you think that means? When someone causes a problem? Yeah, when someone or something causes a problem. And there are lots of examples of this. And we've went through various websites and we looked through and we've actually come up with two parts. First off, we have our antagonists, specifically individuals who cause problems in heist films. And then the factors themselves. So we're going to start with the factors first. Because those are things that are kind of not beyond control, but they're things that are more they're more different. Like first off, the major antagonistic factor that you have is someone flips on you. That means it's a relative, a member of the crew, something like that, and they will either go to the cops or they're going to turn on you. They're going to try to steal it for themselves, cut you out of the deal. And that's one of the major people in our antagonistics in heist films. We'll get to them in a bit. So that's the first major event. And it does happen a lot because people are greedy by nature. Well, not by nature, but criminals are greedy by nature. But anyway, so next one is during the heist, things are going well. But say a natural phenomenon occurs or supernatural phenomenon in one movie where it's something you don't expect to happen that you didn't plan for. There's an earthquake. Maybe it's a haunted ship and a bunch of ghosts come to kill you. Or maybe there's a monster that's going to come and eat you. Or, God forbid, it's a fire or an explosion. It's Somebody some... gets hurt. Yes, which is the next one. Injury on the job. Someone gets injured. For example, you had an unforeseen complication and due to the incompetence of one of the members, someone gets shot in the foot. Now you have one of your members is wearing a cast. How do you rectify that how do you fix that now that's also our final piece of this which is the unforeseen complication which is something goes wrong you forget something a good example is in one of the movies we may review later oceans 11 due to a different casino being demolished the casino that's going to be the mark finds out about a fatal flaw that our main characters the people accomplishing the heist were going to exploit so now that their whole plan has to be reworked within two days as opposed to them being able to do their original plan. And this is an unforeseen complication. So they end up having to pull something else out of their ass. And by doing that, this also leads to an injury on the job and some other incidents occurring. And finally, our last one is someone panics. Most times it is one of the crew members, but it also could be one of the people who are involved in the heist. Like say it's a teller at a bank. They'll freak out and that leads to problems. You have the... Uh, mark themselves who panic and they'll do something drastic or a little bit too far they'll go too far like okay kill everybody even the the hostages i don't care i want my money back and you know we'll nuke the city i don't care they go to the nuclear option or it's one of the the guards panics and then that leads to problems because it's like oh the guard he thinks he's going to be rambo and kill one of the the hostages or hostage negotiators and then everything goes to hell but those are the antagonistic factors. Now let's get to some of the antagonists. Now these are the bad guys. Now, And that's a weird way to say it because we're talking about movies about people who are doing bad things. And sometimes there are good people doing it for bad reasons, but... 
Sometimes there's bad people doing it for good reasons. Yes. So the antagonists are the the problems who are the people who are causing the problems for these are protagonists, our main characters. And we've broken it down into five specific people. Because we talked about the antagonistic factors, now we're going to talk about the people who cause problems. And the first one is the most obvious. We're talking about the police or the law enforcement. And the law enforcement actually... The fuzz. Yep, the fuzz. And they break down into two different categories. First off, you have the uh, lawful good, good guy. This is the guy that is going to be totally like, yes, I am here to... To make sure that the law is enforced, you're going to go to jail. I'm not going to rest until you are arrested. This is the guy that goes completely just as a straight arrow is no problem. He's going to do what it takes to get there. Even if the person is not exactly 100% lawful good, it could be someone who's like, you know, going to go guns blazing to get you, but they're going to not stop. They're the good cop. On the other hand, you have the bad cop. This is the corrupt cop who knows what's going on and is going to kill you and take your earnings. This is the bad, evil, sadistic cop. A good example of this is Gary Oldman from Leon the Professional. It's He's a cop who is dealing drugs and is a criminal. And he's sent to, okay, well, you're going to do a hostage negotiation or you're going to stop a heist and he's going to end up killing the crew just to take it for himself. This has happened in a couple of movies, and he's just a black hat. But he's a bad, bad antagonist. So law enforcement can go either way. Because you have good guys and bad guys, corrupt guys, whatever. Next is you have the opportunist. Now, opportunists are members of the crew or people who hang out with the crew who will decide that, hey, as opposed to getting one share of the loot, I can get all of it for myself. Right, if I cut out this guy, I, then it's all mine. Yes, and this leads to some very shady stuff going on. And this, as we said earlier, someone flips on you, this is what happens. They flip on you, either they say, I don't want to do something to be a good guy, and flips, you, flips the robberies to the cops, or they're going to flip and just decide they're going to screw you over. A good example of this one is if you've seen the remake of The Italian Job, Edward Norton. Where he's, oh, he's the protege of the lead guy and he screws everybody over. And the rest of the movie is a revenge film. But it's, he screws them over for his own purposes. Now, the next antagonist is one which is kind of cool. And I think of this simply as the Kaito Kid versus Lupin. Or Lupin situation. The rival. You both are after the same thing and it's who's going to get there first. And who's going to screw over the other person, you know? The person is going to wait for you to do the job and steal it from you. Or they're going to steal it and then set it up so that when you go to steal the thing, you get arrested. Even though you didn't steal anything. It's a... Would you say it's a healthy competition or unhealthy competition? Like the Night Fox from uh, Ocean's 12. It's a... It depends on how you look at it. It's it's a healthy competition, but it's, they're bad guys. They're steal, They're thieves. But it's a healthy competition between the two of them. Sometimes. Sometimes it's very unhealthy where it's, they're truly bad thieves and they're, tr- they're going to do something horrific with it. So you have that. Next you have the main uh, antagonist in most of these films, the mark. The person who the thieves are stealing from. Now it could be someone as evil as an evil dictator. It could be someone as simple as it's a bank manager or the owner of a casino. And their thing is, they care about their interests first. Sometimes they're incompetent, but 
The ones who are true antagonists are someone you don't want to mess with. A perfect example of the mark is Terry Benedict from Ocean's Eleven. It's someone who, like um, Ruben says in the movie, he says, yeah, you used to be civilized, but if you steal from Benedict and he finds out who you are, he's not just going to kill you. He's going to kill you, then work on you. He's going to take out your family, your extended family, just to make a point. And this is someone that you don't want to fuck with. And then finally, the last one. The last antagonist is similar to the opportunist, except this is much of a more sinister nature. The hirer. You're a bunch ringleader. Of, sometimes a ringleader, sometimes just a client. It's the person who hires the thieves to do the job, they do the job, and then the ringleader is going to kill them all. It's different because an opportunist is someone who they're going to do it last minute. They're not going to think about it. They're gonna be like it's not a major event. It's like okay, I could make this score now. A good example of the hire being the villain is well there's a movie that's in the james bond franchise called uh it's is it it's not thunderball is it thunderball it's thunderball right yeah yeah well thunderball no it's not thunderball uh it's the other one uh not active well, anyway, one of the james bond movies the villain's name is stromberg and he is a super criminal and he actually hires his goons pays them off but then after he pays them off, they go to be, yeah, we're going to be fine, we're going to be fine. He ends up blowing up their helicopter and taking the money back. That's where an, a hire is a villain, where he's going to kill his crew off. There's a couple movies where that happens, and then it's a revenge story. Of, we're going to kill the hirer to get revenge for the death of one of our members. So it's kind of fascinating and weird how there's so many antagonists to being a villain. And when you have the villains as the kind of good guys. Yes. Right? And the movie we're talking about today that we rolled on that one that only the dodecahedron of movies has a good example of the opportunist. Where it goes kind of, well, let's get to it, shall we? I think yeah. they're ready for this. So, if you remember from the last episode, we rolled the one that only the dodecahedron of movies. And it dictated us to be reviewing a movie that was directed by Malcolm Venville. Now, this is a person I didn't know existed. Have you ever heard of him? No. He directed one other movie, 44-inch chest, which is not about a girl with big boobs or a guy who's ripped or it's a, a chest that you're... It's a crime movie. It's a British crime movie that made was made for $12 million, and its gross was one. It was made for $12 million. It made $1 million. That's... A bomb. Yeah. So this guy made a bomb. Now, the movie that we're talking about was produced by Stephen Hamel, and then a little unknown guy that no one's really ever heard of who owns a motorcycle company. Uh, Keanu? Keanu? He lives in New York or something? Yeah, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves! Yes, Keanu Reeves direct, uh, produced this movie, and it takes place in New York and Buffalo. And, uh, well, the reason why I found out about this movie is because... My side gig for a long time was that I was working for a certain organization, well, let's be honest, a toll collector. Short period of time. It's a toll collector. And this movie has Keanu Reeves as the main character. I'm going to spoil that a little bit. And he's a toll collector for the first five minutes of the movie. So it's kind of weird. It's like seeing like someone working in your job, but it's like you see all things are doing wrong. But anyway... So, Keanu Reeves directed this. It came out in 2010, 
from uh, the, T the TIFF Festival. It was released in the United States limited run in April 2011. It's 108 minutes, but it feels like it's a two-hour movie. It drags. It is definitely slow in a lot of parts. It was made for $12 million and it made 2.2. So it was more of a success than the last movie, but not by much. But still bomb. And the name of this movie is... Well, the name of this movie is Henry's Crime. And it's... Not a very dynamic name. It's to the point, but it's got a great cast. You have Peter Stormare, uh, who I'm surprised... He, well, I'm not surprised he did this movie. He's an actor that, if you've ever seen... Uh, well, the way I think about him the most from was... The Brothers Grimm, where he plays the kind of inept, crazy, weird investigator who's trying to investigate the Brothers Grimm. Uh, he's always playing that like that Italian, weird-speaking, strange weirdo. Uh, actually, one of his best roles, though, was he played uh, the devil in Constantine, the movie. So that was kind of cool. Also working with Keanu Reeves again. I think that's why he did this, is because he worked with Keanu Reeves at one time. He's kind of like, ah, well, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so anyway, you had Bill Duke, who last I heard about him was in Predator and Commando. He's a was a big. He's a character actor who's a uh, big, strong black guy. And this one, he's kind of a he's a tired uh, security guard who's a couple weeks from pension, months from pension. You have Fisher Stevens. Yes, we've talked about him before in a couple other movies. He's playing a guy named Eddie, and he is typical Fisher Stevens. That he's become now. Because he used to be just the eccentric weird guy. That guy that's kind of your friend, but he's kind of weird. Now he's just scumbag. Yeah. Like, like, the only time I don't think he was a villain was in the Short Circuit series. But that's a whole other problem. Because he was he was playing Brownface. <laughs> you have Judy Greer. Which, Judy Greer, that I'm surprised she's in. But she's playing, uh, for part of the movie, she plays the ex-wife of Keanu... Or wife-slash-ex-wife of Keanu Reeves. I don't like her. In this movie, she's bad. She's well. We'll get to it in a bit. You have Vera Famiga as the lead actress in this movie in more ways than one. She's the main lead for the female role, and she's—I gotta say—she does a good job playing that aging, like struggling actress. Yeah. Like Mrs. Lottery. A little cold. Not looking for any kind of long-term relationship wanting to advance her career and this is the point of her advancing her career and it's this or that and then last and not least uh before keanu reeves we have james Kahn. and how the hell did they get him for this movie he's a like a a great actor like a real actor <laughs> like all the all these actors in this movie are real actors how the hell did they get is this i don't think this is like um uh, movie 50, 32, where that was, they probably blackmailed every single person to be in that movie, which was a pile of shit. This is, I think, a passion project that went wrong. Yeah, like, hey, I really want to do this. Okay, let's do it. And it's going to be fun and different. It is fun, and you see that the actors are having fun in their roles. It's just the movie's not great. Yeah. And like I said, the movie's called Henry's Crime. Now, to explain this movie... Uh, in one word, how would you describe it in one word? Or one sentence? If I were to describe it in one sentence, the guy has the wrong friends and gets suckered into pulling off a crime he wanted nothing to do with. He takes the fall for it, goes to jail, and when he gets out of jail, decides 
I'm going to actually do the crime now because I've already done the time. That's a, that is perfect. That is a perfect way to explain Because this is actually not listed as a heist movie. It's listed as a rom-com, which it's like, it is not a rom-com. There's a little romantic element in there. Well, you know what? You're right. There is a bit of a romantic element because it is kind of a crux of part of the, a third of the movie. But the whole thing is that Henry, our main character, is someone who really has no passion for anything. He works the night shift as a toll collector, which I gotta say, while it's a very lucrative career, it's a very boring career. You, you, you do your job, then he goes home to his wife, and his wife is kind of like... Hey, baby, I, you know, I'm thinking we're, our neighbors are going to have kids, and I'm thinking we're going to have kids, and he's kind of like, eh, wishy-washy about it. He doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't have any passions. There's nothing pushing him. He's just kind of living day by day by day. And then, eventually one day, his idiot friend, Eddie, stops by. He's kind of, it's Fisher Steven, stops by and says, listen, we're going to play a baseball game. We need a third. Now, Keanu Reeves' character... Um, Henry is his name, worked an all-nighter. So just came home, essentially ate his dinner, which is technically breakfast, and his quote-unquote friend wants him to go play baseball. Also, let's bring up the other fact, and he brings this up, that this is during November. Yeah. So already red flags... In upstate New York. Yeah, red flags should be going off in his head, but he's like... Do we really have to do this? Yeah, yeah. It'd be like, oh, trust me, man. I wouldn't ask otherwise. I really need help because one of our friends is ill. We're going to do this. And there's a whole bet going on. And so they end up going and they end up saying, okay, we're going to take uh, me, our, my idiot friend, Joe, who's kind of a... Uh, idiot. He's like just a big dumb guy. Like, hi, how you doing? Can I use your bathroom? I, I'm not feeling so hot. Because that was the whole reason, but... He was the one that was sick, so he couldn't help. So he ends up crashing at Henry's house while Henry ends up driving his car with Eddie and two friends to the game. The going game. And they end up stopping in front of a bank because he says, Listen, I gotta go to the ATM for a couple minutes. You wait here. And him and his friends get out of the car and they decide to rob the Buffalo Savings Bank in the... Security guard sees Henry waiting out there wearing the same baseball jersey, but he doesn't know what's going on. He's just kind of like zoning out because he's tired. And he ends up getting arrested. Now, the sensible thing for anybody to do in this situation was you sing like a canary. You say, who did it? What happened? But Henry... He's a good guy. He's a nice friend. He takes the fall for robbery. Which he shouldn't have done. Problem with the movie number one. Yes. However, he gets selled with Max, played by James Caan, who is... A, a, I love him. And he admits he's not. He's a confidence man. He doesn't say he's a con man. He's a confidence man. He says, what are you in here for? He goes, life. And he essentially is happy being in prison. He's He doesn't have to do anything. He's got three square meals. He... It's familiar to him, and also... And he's been there long enough that he can't do anything legitimate when he gets out. And he's got a rep, and people respect him. So he doesn't know, and like he... One of the things is he jokes about how when he goes to parole boards, he acts like a psychopath so that they'll... They won't... Let him out. Yeah. And they know that that's happening. But he's having a good time. And, and Henry, 
is kind of like at first he's like, oh, this guy's kind of my friend. But then eventually Max puts in his idea that you need to have a dream. And he's like, what's your dream? And he's like, I don't know. And he starts thinking actually about, you know, because he was sleepwalking through life. But now he's like, I need to have a dream. What's his dream going to be? He doesn't know. And then, of course, we can't bring up the fact that in prison, his wife shows up two times, wants to be nice to him, and second time is to serve him divorce papers. She's getting, she's divorcing him because she fell in love with someone else. And who did she fall in love with? The idiot friend that roped him into this. Joe. The, the idiot, the one who got sick, who was stuck at their house. So they got married, and he, he uh, it sucks for him. So... 18 months later, because he was an accessory to the, the robbery, he decides that, you know what, I'm out. He sees his, he sees his ex-wife, he sees um, Joe. Joe is now part of a Ponzi scheme. He's trying to get everyone involved in this Ponzi scheme. His, wife, his ex-wife is pregnant, so he doesn't know what to do. And he's walking by the bank, and he gets the idea, you know what, I did the time for the bank robbery. Why don't I, why don't I do the bank? Why don't I rob the bank? And as he's walking by the bank... He gets hit by a car. <laughs> and the woman gets out. And what does she say? It's my favorite line. It's... She's like, what the hell's wrong with you? Why don't you watch where you're going? I just hit you with my car. And she gets pissed off at him for him. For, and then she realizes, oh shit, what I do? And she brings him to a cafe across the street. Says, look, I hit him. I don't know what's going on. It's going to be okay. And as he's there, he's kind of just musing. Don't sue me. You know. And he, it's like almost like for him, it's when she gets to the car and looks at him, it's love at first sight. It's that, mm-hmm. it's a reverse of the Back to the Future Florence Nightingale situation where she hits him with a car and she falls in love with him because he's the hurt baby bird. It's the, you hurt me, I love you. Yep. Because you look familiar. Long story short, as he's cleaning up in the bathroom of the restaurant, he reads that there was a bootlegger tunnel underneath the theater next to the bank. And it actually leads underneath the bank vault. So he's got to figure out a way to get into the theater, go make a get into the bootlegger tunnel, and dig under the bank vault. And he could steal all the money he can, which is pretty smart. So he eventually talks Max into it, and things are going well. Now there's one small problem with this: is how is he going to get into the theater? Well, that's easy. He uh, joins the theater group. Yes, at first he says, I'll work on the on the lighting, but the leading lady is the girl who hit him, Julie. And her leading man ends up walking away, and he ends up, well, he ends up asking her out, going on a date. They start falling in love, and he reads his lines to her, and the lines he does, she coaches him a little bit in the lines, and he's, because he's interested in her, He's putting his actual feelings into these emotions because it's a romantic role. It's a play called The Cherry Orchard by Chekhov, which the whole thing is, if I remember correctly, it's a wealthy girl has a a cherry orchard that she has to sell, and she's in love with the guy who's going to buy the cherry orchard. And eventually she runs off at the end because he gets... It's a very tragic play. Mm -hmm. However, he ends up becoming the leading man. I forgot the... Well, now I want to look it up. Because it's actually a pretty cool scene of him getting better with the play. Because at first he's like, he's terrible, but he's a good actor. The director is one of those guys that's just kind of crazy. He's like... Yes. Play tennis. 
and Keanu Reeves' character doesn't know all of these, like, terms. He's, like, trying to read his line. And the guy's like, well, did you, show me you've been in love before. Show me you're yearning for her. And he eventually does it and he knocks it out of the park. And the- Partially because he's really in love with her. And he's just using those words, but he really likes her. He's a method actor, but he doesn't know it. And he's enjoying the role. And this actually shows Keanu Reeves acting and shows he's a good actor. This is one of his weird passion projects like Generation Me, where it's just strange and unusual, but it works. Mm -hmm. It shows he's a competent actor. Yeah, most people remember him from Bill and Ted's and all those dumb movies he did when he was younger, but he's a good actor. He knows how to act. He's very charismatic and... Even hit, and he shows he's someone dedicated to this craft, and this is something he could do with his life. But his still goal is, I want to steal from this place. This. Now, eventually, the security guard who arrested him recognizes him and says, I know you're trying to rob the bank, but listen, I'm retiring in three days. I'll help you out. I'll make. Sure, I'll tell you the day the biggest take is going to happen, but the deal is I want 30%. Mm-hmm. No, he wants 50%. He wants half. He wants half. So they agree to give him half after um, some coercion. But as they get through the bootlegger tunnel, going back and forth is kind of a little bit of a problem. So they need some help. So they need some muscle. He ends up getting Joe involved. And Joe, strong, dumb guy, is helping out, helping out. But Joe also likes to drink. Goes to a bar, drinks. And who does he run into? His old pals. And Eddie hears about this, so Eddie wants involved because he'll send him to jail, which is kind of bullshit because Eddie should have been like, you saved our ass, I'm not going to bother you, but he wants the money. So he wants involved and eventually things are going to go wrong and it's going to end up where does Henry choose the money or does he choose love? Does Max go to jail again? Because he says, I don't care. Because his whole reason for this is, if you rob the money, I get money, life is good. If I get arrested, I go back to prison. Life is good. Mm-hmm. So it's a win-win situation for him. Which is, hence the title for our episode. Because he's like, yeah, you know, if things go wrong, hey, it works for me. Because I really didn't want to go out here. But Henry has such conviction on this dream, I think it'll work. And it's got a interesting twist of an ending. That I gotta say that the ending I didn't expect. I didn't either. And it, it it has a good ending. I mean, overall, the movie felt slow. It feels slow, and you could cut a lot of the movie down. <coughs> I mean, it's only an hour and eight minutes, which means it's le- it's an hour 40 minutes. And it feels like a three-hour movie. Yeah. It's because it does drag a bit, and there's stuff that you could cut out, but it's not a bad story. Like, I actually would like this as a play. It would... Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of the movie Double Jeopardy, but Double Jeopardy did it better. Yeah. Double Jeopardy did do it better. I th- Double Jeopardy was about... Murder instead of a, thie- a, th- a thieving ring. Right. And, but the film is unique. It's different. And it's one where... There are some elements which are really good and some which are really bad. And even though it's... We watched it. It's like the movie still sticks with you when you think about it. It's not a, we watched it, we forgot about it, it was a garbage movie. It's just, it's a okay movie. It's an okay movie. 
Now, MVP definitely is James Caan. James Caan sells this movie. He does a great job with it. Keanu is Keanu, which is great, but James Caan is, has fun doing this movie. Yeah. Um, definitely Danny Hoach, which we didn't even talk about. He is the LVP. He plays Joe, and it's just like, they needed a dumb guy to be the dumb guy, and just he comes off a little too, like, did you find this guy at, at, on the street and just said, have him act? Yeah, I mean, he might be an incredible actor because he plays dumb so well, but he just seems like a dumb guy. They could have picked someone a little better to play the dumb guy, I think. That's where I think about it. But he's LVP. Now, well, let's just get to it. So, out of our rating system for Spyrokin, the Spyrokin Motion Picture Review ratings, I'm going to have to give this a worth-watching lunch. On, well, since it's the modern age, I don't want to say on DVD, on Blu-ray, because it's modern age, so it's worth watching once streaming. Where can you find it streaming? Well, there's a couple sites you can find it, and also it's on YouTube, the full movie. So, you can just stream it. I think that's a good spot for it. I think it's worth having on in the background. Yeah. Actually, that is a better, yeah, I would say, yeah, it's worth having on in the background while surfing the internet for other like stuff. That, this one was hard for me to sit and watch. Yeah, it's... Yeah, have it on the background It's is a better option, because it is rough. There's there's some great moments in it, but then the scenes that drag, it drags. It, like, really drags. Yeah. It's like scenes of just quiet contemplation, which are good in certain movies, but you don't need 15 minutes of it. You can cut it down to two minutes. Yeah, 100%. And Henry, starting off with... Yeah, I love the fact that he was a toll collector. It's very cool, but he also, like... The beginning of the movie, he's really dry. He's very kind of like just going through the motions. But yeah. So that's that's where we put our rating for that. Um, If you've seen this movie and you agree with us, you can email us at sparkin at gmail.com or zansparkin.com. Let us know what you think. If you disagree, if you think this movie's great, or if you think this movie was complete shit, let us know. And so, (coughs) now that that's out of the way, let's get... To the part that you've all been waiting for. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about that one. That only. The Dodecahedron of Movies. Yes, friends. The Dodecahedron of Movies. Don't accept any substitute. Now, what is a Dodecahedron? It is a funky looking dice. It is. It is a 12-sided dice. And what we've done is we've assigned a movie title <coughs> to each of the sides. So we're going to roll this dodecahedron, and whenever a number lands on, that's what we're reviewing in our fourth installment of the Month of Heists. Hold-ups and high-octane car chases. And we've got some good movies left on here. Some old-school ones, some new-school ones. And something we're doing for three of them is we're going to have a compare and contrast. So we're going to compare to the remake, the original to remake. Like, for example, a good one is Nicholas Kim Coppola. I mean, Nicholas Cage. In Gone in 60 Seconds versus the original Gone in 60 Seconds, which I think is the better movie. Or Bullet, which I was surprised they made a remake of that. There. Bullet? Yeah. Oh, okay. Then there's another one, which we... Uh, another one we want definitely to happen, but I don't know if that's going to happen. The Italian Job's on there. Because the Italian Job, the original one, has one of the coolest endings ever. Because that's that 1960s, the bad guy can't win! It's a real, like... Either the bad guys are going to die or they're going to steal the money. And what's going to happen? 
So let's roll and spew what's going to happen. So you roll. Bump it Seven. Lucky number seven. And speaking of seven, well, we're going to be doing a movie that has not just seven actors in it. It's going to have four more actors in it. So what does that make? Twelve. Seven and four make twelve? Oh, no. Eleven. Ocean's Eleven. Yes, so in the next episode we're reviewing Ocean's Eleven and we're the one that came out in 2000 and I want to say six. I think it's because 12 is one of my favorite movies. 2001 it came out, so it's been a while. It, it's old now. Over 15 years old. So It's like 19 years old. Yeah. It's an old movie. It's a grown-up. Yes, and we're going to be comparing it to its original, which came out in 1960, which is way super old. Now, here's the question. Does that mean that this movie has statute of limitations because it came out in 2001? But we can talk about that another time. So, I guess that's it. We've talked about the antagonist. we talked about the movie. And, um, yeah. So, with that in mind... I'm Greta. I'm out of here. But uh, my favorite line is... doing what the fuck are you doing Wait, are you okay stan I, 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 I gotta call you back i just ran someone over okay you idiot you weren't even looking where you were going and my favorite quote from 2011's henry's crime is gonna be i was a confidence man you mean a con man i um i don't like that word uh confidence is a little more elegant Confidence comes from the Greek word uh, fetus, which means uh, faith and belief. Greek? I thought it was Latin. Well, yes, it is. It is now. Mm -hmm. So, essentially, you make people feel good, and then you rip them off. Yes, but I was always a little better at the uh, feeling good part than I was with the ripping off part, and hence jail. Hmm? Well, it's kind of a win-win situation for me. Why? I like jail. We're Gonzo. Catch you guys next time. Uh, keep watching movies and uh, be excited for the next episode. See ya. Bye. I just ran someone over. You idiot! What are you doing here? Are you here to sue me? No. Good. You came to jail. They asked me to help you rob a bank. I did the time. I may as well have done the crime. What are you doing out there, Rose? 
What? So is your story, Henry. Uh, you just got out of prison. Wow. There's a tunnel. Runs from the bank to the theater. You're gonna rob the bank that you already went to jail for robbing? Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what we do. We do it the old-fashioned way. We go in with guns. No guns. Why? Someone could get hurt. Oh, that's, that's very sweet of you, Henry. The same bank. Now that's poetry. I'm so glad I ran you over. You told everything we're doing? Yeah. It's a crime. A crime is supposed to be secret. Does this make me an accessory? I got an idea. What if you played Lebakin? No, not. When well, you're not a bank robber either, you're doing that, aren't you? I have to come from here to speak with you. Huh? I love you. If you haven't been in love, show us what love is all about. What rips you apart and then puts you together. What carries you to the heavens and then smashes you to the ground. We both knew this would never work out, right? I didn't. I can't do it. I can't leave her. Of course you're gonna have to leave the Arabra Bank. Welcome to the party, Brando. Aren't you guys worried about getting caught? It's kind of a win-win situation for me. Why? I like jail. Hey, Max. Yeah? Here's your next review. November. Why don't you show us what you did last time for the boy? Come on, I'm working, stop. Come on, all right, one time. Come on, come on, show us. Come on, show us. Leave me alone. Just once, come on. Come on, Pain in the ass. All right. So last time, um, I'm sitting there, and um, the head of the board comes and says, OK, Max, what are you going to do for us this time if we let you out? I got the old twitch working a little bit. break into your house and then I'll kill your dog. <laughs> I said, the house on fire. Then I'll dance through your garden, naked, like some mad crazed werewolf. And I'll bite and I'll mangle and I'll tear the tongue out of everything that's breathing. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll hurl myself into the sky, the ethereal sky flaming like God's darkest angel. And I'll explode and hit to a goddamn heavenly fireball. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Boom! You guys want to see this? I, I can't wait. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> what? What? You scared the shit out of me, I tell you that. <laughs> well, believe me, I ain't going anywhere. Thank God. <laughs> When's your review coming up? <laughs>